here we go. Um, we're talking about the things we believe. And so there are a belief about the church according to the Bible. And I think the word church is so misunderstood and all over the map. And so hopefully we'll help you understand that a little bit more. And we struggle to understand what does it mean to be a part of the church? What does it mean to be the church? And we can choose which most people are doing. And there's a lot of people that are Christians that are not. They are part of the church, but they're not being a part of the church. So that's pretty weird, Pastor. But it's not about getting more people here on Sunday morning. It's the fact it is clear people are an open sin if they're not a part of the church and they're Christians. I don't care. I really do not care because this is the Bible. And we need each other. And I can't do anything by myself. I would not be standing before you if it wasn't for the church. And I don't mean because I've been a minister for 30 years. I'm talking about the definition that we're going to cover today that has nothing to do with me being a minister. But we've got to get over this. You've got the de-churched. And all these terms. You are in sin if you're not a part of the church. And that's not because it's a Baptist minister trying to get you to come to church. It's because the definition has been so messed up. And that's what we're going to unpackage today. I want to challenge you to be the church. To be the church. And yes, your points are going to spell out the word church. Let's look at the article. Let's look at the big long one. And again, you've got the pamphlets in the back and there's a book and all that kind of stuff. These are things that we believe in our definition. But it says this. The church, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is autonomous local congregation of baptized believers, associated by covenant and the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. All right, here we go. In such a congregation, see how I waited because I knew there was going to be something else. I'm starting to learn after six weeks. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons with both men and women are gifted for service in the church. And the office of pastors limited to men is qualified by scripture. The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and every nation. We're going to package that. There's a lot of landmines in there. And one of the landmines our, our denomination has been dealing with for the past two years and is really going to deal with it in convention this year. And we'll I'll talk about it a little bit today. And again, I'm not just trying to say it, but if you're saying, Pastor, that's not enough. You're kind of flying over this. You need to be here on Wednesday nights. You don't have an excuse. There's a mill, and then we go in to go this deeper. And tonight, uh, I mean, Next Wednesday night, we'll continue talking about God in his various forms. And we've been talking about God the Son, and we'll finish that, and we'll talk about God the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna, we do these more in depth, and so it gives you time to see that. Well, we have to first see, 1 Corinthians uh, 3.11 says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand, who founded the church? Jesus Christ. If it's not, this is why I don't care what other people do. I'm not trying to put them down, but I'm thankful for every church that I've ministered in that they've never stuck my name on the sign because I don't want people to find me. 
I want to be under the wire. Okay, no, what I'm trying to say, I don't care when they do that. There's, when, I go, when I go to a certain town around here, there's like two churches with, next to each other, and it's like it says who the pastor is, and that's not bad. But the thing about it is, is it's not my church. It's not your church. The church is founded by Jesus Christ. And so the foundation, the base of the church is Christ. And so when people, when you're talking to people about church, Christ needs to be the base. And from this foundation, all else is built. And any of you that are good at building understand a foundation is key. Ephesians 2.20 says this, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Christ is the foundation. He is fully God and fully man. And then upon that, we have the prophets that were God's people that we see in the Old Testament that foretold of Christ's coming. And then you have the apostles who Christ called. These are, they are built upon the foundation of Christ. But this is part of the building of, Christ, of the church. Built on the foundation of Christ, the apostles, the prophets. Christ is the foundation. He's the base of the church. And then from there, we see all other church is built on and the, and thus because Christ is the foundation the church has a safe foundation it has a solid foundation it has an enduring foundation it has an internal foundation because he's the same yesterday today and forever and if you go to the first part of John it talks about that he has always existed that's what we studied Wednesday night that Christ is not created Christ is God and he's existed so when you're talking to somebody about church and what the church is, the foundation of the church is the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. The Great Commission, Christ, Christ establishes the church, and we see that in Acts. In, in Matthew 6, verse, uh, excuse me, Matthew 16, which I didn't give them all the verses, so I don't think it's on there, but Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19 says this, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of God is? And they replied, Some say that the John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Christ clearly stated uh, what we see here. This, this section, you need to go back sometime and look at this. This is Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, but this section of Scripture. I want to be really clear. If it wasn't for the Catholic Church, we wouldn't be here. Now, you can be Christian and be Catholic. You can be Baptist and be Catholic. It's how you get Christ right. But this section of Scripture, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, the Catholic Church uses this to say that Peter is the first pope, that he is the establishment of the church. That's not what that means. Peter's testimony that the, the basis and the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is how you become a part of the church is recognizing Christ. 
Christ clearly stated the church was not established on Peter, but on Peter's confession of Christ as the son of the living God. He's the foundation. How you become a part of the church is that you confess that Christ is the son of the living God. So your first fill-in, Christ is the foundation. I hope we've been understanding this. If anybody adds anything other than Christ, it's probably a cult. If Christ is not fully God and fully man, if Christ is created, it's a cult. If Christ is an extra, it's a cult. If Christ is just a, and you say, well, that's harsh. I want you to understand the devil is a liar. And a lot of times he's not going to come to you with a burning cross or cutting chicken's heads off in your front lawn. He is going to come to you by, well, that looks innocent and nice or whatever. You know, here's the thing. Say we're in a boat and we're rowing across a, uh, to a point across a river and you've got two people. If one person is just a little bit off, you'll never get to your destination. See, Satan doesn't have to be outward. He's a liar and he's a deceiver. And so here's how you understand. Christ is the foundation of the church and Christ is fully God and fully man. And Christ is the only way to salvation. His word's not mine. And if it's Christ plus or Christ minus, it's not of him. Christ is the foundation. The foundation. And then he goes on, the body is a holy body of believers. The word church, ecclesia, means, means the, the called out ones. And those of you that have received Christ, you remember when God called you. It may have been in a service. It may have been a, a friend or an individual. It may have been reading God's word. But that point when he was calling you to salvation. And the church are those that God has called out. Christians are called out from the world into fellowship with God and His church. The church is the community of those who believe in and follow Christ. You need to remember that definition. When people use the word church, they think of building, denomination, and organization. All those aren't bad, but maybe we need a different word. Because we've taken the teeth out of this. And remember this definition. Church, the community of those who believe in and follow Christ. The community of those who believe in and follow Christ. There's a bunch of people that believe in Christ. Guess what? Spoiler alert, the demons believe in Christ too. But you need to go further. You need to follow Him. You need to accept Him as Savior and Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And so we, and I want, and you need to remember that. So when you follow Christ, when you receive Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ. And those of you, the older you get, the more you figure out more parts of your body because they start going. I didn't know that did that, but I know it now because it stopped working. Okay? And you notice, and some of you being a pastor, you get, you got some weird, funky things going on. It's like, I've never heard that or whatever. It may not be anything major. But a lot of times we think, well, I'm not a hand. I'm not an arm. I'm not a leg. I'm not an eye or an ear. So I'm not important. But what happens when that little unknown body part goes? You know it. Everybody's important in the body of Christ. I'm gonna, this is a huge section of Scripture. I'm going to read it. It's not going to be up there. You can go there if you want. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. But you need, on your homework, you need to look at that maybe more in depth. But it's 1 Corinthians 12, verses uh, 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are 
all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. This is why you need to go back and study this this week. Verse 19. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not know, I do not need you. Or again, the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that are considered less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, with which our respectable parts do, need, do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to less honorable, so that they they would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26, write it down, look at this week. It's a lie from the pit of hell when you say, well, that's not me, what can I do? We need everybody here. I just mentioned a team. And they're not any better than anybody else. But that team is willing to do some things a lot of us wouldn't. And you know what? I think in church, we've said, well, unless you teach, unless you do this, those are the only options. Guess what? There's a lot of stuff to do around here. You know? And everybody here has a gift. And you have a part. And some may be shown a little bit more, and some may not. But guess what? They're all important. And so I want, you really ought to study that because if you've received Christ and he is the foundation, you are part of the body of Christ and you are important. And some of you may, and I, I love it when you come to me and say, hey, I want to do something. And, and it's not going to be, hey, pastor's going to say, I want you to do this. I'm going to tell you this right now. It's okay to say no. I have to be really careful about asking people to do anything because they think they have to do it. I want, here's what I want for you. My job is to encourage and equip you. My job is to get you that part of the body that you are where you can be used most. And I really feel God, he gives you, you're going to like what you do. And that can change. That call can change. Some of us start something and God changes us. God's changed my calling in ministry from youth ministry to pastoring and chaplaincy. And I can see him continue to, to hone the things that he's working on in my life. And so guess what? If it doesn't work and you try it, it's okay. We'll survive. You don't need me. We don't need you. God chooses to use us. But you all are important. And you're all a part of the body. A body has many parts. And parts of the body have fascinating gifts and, and varying gifts. 
Romans 12, verses 4 and 8 says this, now, now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, the same way uh, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace, get this, grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it accordingly to the propitiation of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in, in exhorting. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness that's just a little bit of the gifts but everybody's got a gift that God has given you everybody that knows Christ is important in the body um, a body uh, a body of the redeemed revelation 5 9 says this and they sang a new song you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you have been slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe language and people and nation by Christ's blood, when you receive Christ, he has redeemed you. Your next fill-in, being a part of the church means you're a holy body of believers. This lone wolf thing, of because we're getting a lot of this. We're getting a lot of this. I've been burned by church. I've been hurt by church. Welcome to the club. All right? It's like, you know, it's like that movie uh, Black Hawk Down. Okay? They're... The soldiers are getting shot up, and they're in the, the Hummer or whatever. And, the, and one of the soldiers says, hey, sergeant, I've been shot. And the sergeant said, guess what? We've all been shot. I'm not making light of this, but we, and maybe there's some that are watching right now, and I'm looking right at you. Get into church. We were, you were not designed to do this alone. The only reason I am still here is because of accountability and the body of Christ church and so here's let's look at this characteristics of the church this is a baptist thing but it's a good thing autonomy autonomous not automatons okay but let's look at the word autonomy and what makes it every this is how we operate some of you have come now we're talking about organization organization is not bad and you see organization in the new testament but i think we do good on making it too organized sometimes or too loose but there is a base okay and so i'm going to tell you how we operate some of you have grown up and i'm, I'm not against my brothers and sisters okay but like in the methodist they and we're getting we're going to get the offices of uh, that we see in the church and that we observe in the church that we see in the bible but in the Methodists, they have bishops, and, they have, and, and, you know, the pastor has to move from church to church. Now they've got a little bit more leadway, and usually they move in June if they're moving from their church. Maybe the pastor says he doesn't like the church, or the church doesn't like them, and after a while, so they move into to the next one, okay, or whatever. It's kind of funny. Every time Heather and I moved, we moved in the month where the Methodists moved, so we'd see them on the road and say, hey, how's it going, okay, or whatever. But so, and then, and again, I'm going to be really loose on this because it's been a while, uh, we do an offering. Our offering, the reason we don't pass it around is because of COVID and all that stuff, but we, our plates are here, and we encourage you to give regularly, not because, you know, it's just an act of worship, but I want to talk about our offerings. A lot of denominations, the offering goes to the main headquarters, and then the main headquarters brings money back. If they operate and want to do it that way, fine. That's not how we do it. We believe in the autonomy of the local congregation. Uh, here's how, it's been a while, and maybe you need to refresh yourself on it, okay? But here's how we, as Baptists, pick, 
I shouldn't tell you, or get rid of a pastor, okay, all right, is we believe in congregational leadership. So say you needed a pastor, what do the church normally uh, appoints? We believe in the church appointing a team that would look at, that would put the need out there. My, my son's church is going through this right now where he's at in Wyoming. They put the need out there. They get resumes. The team goes over it. They pray. They interview. Then they bring it to the church to, to approve. I like how our church did it when they called us is I think a lot of us have been through a view to a call. Okay, it's like a dog and pony show, okay? And, and what happens is the church elects a team to find a pastor. They go through all these resumes, they pray, they find a pastor, and then they bring it, bring them for a weekend to have a great fellowship mills, to be questioned by everybody, and then you vote. And that's like you've got the car and the dealership and you're sitting down ready to sign the deal. I don't think that's a good way to do it. Well, pastor, people have done that for years. I don't think that's good either way. I like what you all did, and I would encourage any church to do that. You guys interviewed us on a Saturday with your leadership about a month before, and then everybody talked about it, prayed about it, and then they brought us to the church. That gave time for us to see if you were squirrels, and you couldn't tell that I was a squirrel. But anyway, you know, and I am. But you know, you, you see what I'm saying. But the congregation, when it got down to this, you brought us, you voted for the team, then you brought here, and you voted. Who votes? Well, we'll get into that. I think next week we're going to be talking about baptism, and not just because we're talking about baptism. If you've been waiting to be baptized and you want to be baptized, I would love a great sermon example to go with that, so you can talk to me afterwards. And some of you have been waiting, and there's no reason to wait. We can talk about that. But who can vote? Those that have received Christ as Savior and Lord, and those that have followed in believers' baptism, and then membership, we do see membership, and we do see people voting in the, in, in the New Testament, are those that have come forward, and this is why in the invitation, that those that come forward and say, hey, I've received Christ, I've followed in, in baptism, and I want to be a part of this imperfect body. Those are the people that can vote for the leadership. I know, again, we're flying over this. This is why Wednesday nights you need to be here because we really unpackage this. And if you have questions. But that's what I like about the Baptist church is nobody, yeah, we choose to cooperate. We have an association of churches here, of Baptist churches. It's Green County Baptist Association. It helps ministers and churches, and we come together and pull our resources. Then on a state level, we have the Missouri Baptist Convention that we come together, and then on a national and international level. And we put our money and our resources together to do more than what we could do by ourselves. But we choose, we call it cooperative. We choose to cooperate. So out of everything we take in, we choose to give a percentage to go to missions, to the reason I'm standing here today is you made it cheaper for me to go to seminary. We have about, I think, six seminaries. And, that, if, and if you're a Southern Baptist, you can go there cheaper. It's through what you give. Disaster relief, missions, all those things, cooperative. We choose to cooperate. We don't have to, but what I've been going through here with you, what we believe is what we believe is a Baptist church. And if we choose to go away from that or choose to, to stray from that, there could be a point where they say, hey, you need to take your name off there because you're not holding to that. But this, this is what we're talking about, autonomy. Each local church has its own authority. Now, that can go bad, too. 
If your leaders aren't biblical or your deacons aren't biblical or your elders are not biblical, they have their own authority. And a lot of churches, that's been the other side of the story. They're in sin and they chew up pastors or they chew up whatever and then there's bad pastors too. Guess what? We've all been hurt. We've all been shot. But we believe that the local congregation has full authority. We choose to cooperate. I like that. I didn't grow up Baptist. I chose to be a Baptist, and this is cool. Nobody tells us what to do, but we need to be close to the Bible. Jesus is the ultimate authority for individuals. I know I spent time on that, but I want you to understand that. Jesus is the ultimate authority for individuals in the local congregation. Christ rules the church through ministry of the Word, the Bible, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Each congregation organizes its ministry so Christ's rule and reign is known by all. So we're not even told how we can minister. Every church body of Christ is unique where they're at and has a unique set of gifts and a unique location. And I've lived in Oklahoma, I've lived in Arkansas, I've lived in Texas, and I've lived here. And they're all different. And they all have different dynamics on how to minister. And that's what's cool. The local church works... Uh, is unique and nobody tells it you got to do this, this, or that. It's like, what is God calling us to do? The local church we talked about works through a democratic process, and I use that loosely because sometimes they've used that democratic process to go against God's word. There have been times that some of you have been through it, we don't like this. And it may have been something biblical that the church is in. We don't like this minister, or we don't like that. So they call literally everybody and their grandma up those people that haven't been there for years, but they still have their membership to get their votes to vote sent. It's a good thing. We've got to be careful. Biblical. Hold to God. And so what kind of relationship is this? We're in a covenant relationship. It's, it's, a, it's a contract or agreement expecting, uh, expressing God's grace, gracious. Uh, and grace to us. It's a relational. This is, we're covet together in, in relationship with Jesus Christ and each other. Um, we cooperate, like I mentioned. We, uh, we covet together for the mission of Christ. That's what's awesome about it. We got a lot of different Baptist churches and a lot of different churches, but we're on one mission. Get the gospel out there. Jesus Christ. This is why we all come together. Activities team met, and we're gonna, I, I want to eventually change that name Okay, I'm not against it, but our purpose is this, to bring people in relationship to Christ and with his people. And if any of the activities don't help build relationships with God's people and with Christ, we shouldn't do it. And so that's how we covenant together for the mission of Christ. And that covenant binds us together to each other. It's a sacred bond because we have Christ. All of us, if we didn't have Christ, we probably wouldn't spend time getting to know each other. Because we're all really different. But isn't that awesome how God brings us together? And we pledge to one another in our trust and our faith. And we, we're eager to work together. The local church is a covenant of a community of believers united in faith in Jesus Christ. It's Christ that brings us together. It's Christ that guides us. And when Christ really enters a covenant to fill, he fulfilled his mission, we enter a covenant with Christ to fulfill his mission. The local church is made up of baptized believers, as I mentioned, those that have made a public profession of faith. Baptism doesn't save you. 
feast on the cross was not baptized, but it's a good thing to do, and it helps identify it's, if you're ashamed of Christ, he'll be ashamed of you. And so if you've really received Christ, you should want to fall on baptism. And why I said, yeah, it'd be nice if somebody gets baptized next week. If you've been, a lot of people sit there and wait around. Well, when I get better or do better, guess what? I'm as saved as I'm ever going to be. Get baptized. And if you want to get baptized next week, great. But if not, okay. But a lot baptized believers, it shows what's happened in your heart. It identifies that you're with Christ, so your next villain, yeah, he's going to get there. Being the church means being unique in character. We've got some pretty unique characters here in the church, don't we? Okay, including your pastor, but talking about autonomous and, and all those things. And so it also means being the church means that we, have, we need to be ready to minister. The core of Christ's ministry is the core of our ministry. Guess what? It's the gospel, the good news. And we see that in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 when he says, go into all the world baptizing and preaching the gospel. And, and, and a lot of times we get the gospel right, but we forget about discipleship and teaching them all. We need to receive Christ and get the gospel, and we need to disciple the rest of our lives. The church's main mission is to invite every person to come to Christ. That's it. That's the only reason we're still here. And what's the problem is, is when we get off that mission. The New Testament church, each member is accountable and responsible to Christ as Lord. Every believer has a task to fulfill and a spiritual gift to share. Romans 12, verses 6 and 8 says this, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And we mentioned that before, prophecy and all those things and teaching. And We always look at the big ones, but there's a gift for all of us. Some of you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. I don't feel I have the gift of encouragement. Well, Pastor, you always encourage me. Well, you're just getting it by grace of God. But I, I know that there's those people that have that gift of encouragement. They just naturally encourage you. You all have a gift, and you need to I will help you find that and use it. The Bible clearly tells us that there's no room for, for spectators in Christianity. Why are you still here? Doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how old you are, you need to ask the question, I'm part of the body. God, what do you want me to do? He'll answer that one, guys. We are to invest our lives in the mission and ministry of the local church. We need to find roles of service, leadership, and ministry. And so your next fill in being the church means we are ready to minister. I'm just going to brag on you all. Out of all the churches I've been in, they've been great. Because if they're listening, i got to make sure I don't want to burn any bridges. Okay, whatever. Okay, they really have. And I, was, I went to this. I, I try to, whether you want to believe it or not, your pastor does try to learn and, 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 and better himself for you all and for the kingdom. And so I went to a training the other day, and I thought it was going to be on how to find volunteers. And it's like, I just don't feel like we have that problem in our church, this one. And this is the only church I've ever been in that I've never felt we've had that problem. Because what I love about you all, if there's a need, everybody jumps in. And they, and they do it. It's, and, and now you're all going to stop doing it. If you do, I'm just going to kick you, okay? But, but the thing about it is, is you're ready to minister. What I want to help you with is some of you think I've just got to be in this lane when God's gifted you to some things we haven't even thought about. Guess what? Dream. My job is just to make sure it's biblical for you. You know? And so you're ready to minister. I think what it may be, how, God, how do you want me to minister specifically? Good job. 
I'm, I'm not just saying that. I'm not kissing up. I've never been in a church. You guys are great. It's awesome. And most churches are dealing with the opposite. Being a church means uh, having structure and organization. Now, this is what the problem is. A lot of times, well, I'm a part of the church, but we need to keep it loose. I agree with that. We need to be at the Holy Spirit. But there is a structure to the church that we find in the Bible, Uh, the biblical office of elder and deacon. Philippians 1.1 says this. Oh, man, we're over too. Okay, whatever. Okay, we'll dial it in. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. All right. So we're going to go through these terms really quickly. This term, overseer, can mean bishop. It can mean elder. Bishop means overseer. Elder means advisor, uh, uh, one that presides over the assembly. And the one that we're familiar with is pastor, shepherd of the flock, who loves and cares for the believers. And you can see, we won't read over this, in Acts 20.28, that is a direct calling. And so Baptists lean towards two offices. Pastor and deacon. And now I'm going to get into real trouble, but I don't care. If you scratch most of the origins of Baptist churches, they had elders before they had pastors. Is that a different thing? No. We're talking about terminology. But an elder takes care of the spiritual needs of the church. A deacon takes care of the physical needs of the church. And I'm going to give you the simple. How did we get into the fact that we have just pastors and deacons in Baptist life. Because way back then when they started, when they, and I'm not trying to get us to go to elders, okay, because I believe in our deacon body we have those that are deacons that they all serve as elders but have the qualifications of elders. They're able to teach, they're able to spiritually discern, and we have great deacons and, and all that. But the reason Baptist life went from elders and just deacons and because here's what would happen. They would start a church out in the frontier and the pastor would be a circuit rider and he would only come and preach maybe once a month. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? No, but he was preaching somewhere else those other times. And so in between, they had to have an elder that was there in the church to discern, to preach, and to teach. But what happened because of need, it went from elders and deacons, spiritual, and that to the deacon having to take on both of those jobs because the pastor wasn't there. Is that bad? Is what we're doing here bad? Not at all. But we need to understand there are two offices. They give you different terms, elder and deacon. One spiritually serves, and the other one physically serves. But we have a hybrid in most Baptist churches where you have deacons that act as elders. And it works. It's okay. But the, I'm summarizing this to shorten it so you can go to lunch, okay, or whatever. But, but these are the offices, pastor and deacon, that we recognize. And so what we see here, uh, we, we understand that. But 2 Timothy 4.2 says this, My main job is preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, cor- correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And so the office of pastor is to be teacher, to be overseer, to be spiritual leader in in those things. Both are gifted for service in the church, but the Bible defines an elder different than a deacon. And there are many other ministries and responsibilities. Now I want you to look at later this week or or, or this afternoon, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13 shows the qualifications of deacons and if you go a little bit uh, further up the qualifications of a pastor and most of them are the same 
And they're a good thing. And what's been a bad thing is guess what? Their wives need to be qualified too. And that's been the biggest thing I've seen either ordaining pastors or ordaining deacons is they may be qualified, but their family isn't. And again, if you think it's somebody being perfect, no. I, I look at what you got here in front of you, you know. But are they consistently following God? But if you want to look at those qualifications, this is how we choose them in the church. That worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the ministry of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be tested and, and proved blameless. And this is why, you know, eventually we're going to need some more deacons, you know. And it doesn't mean you're any certain age that you stop being a deacon, but it's a good process to continue. And we have to look at these qualifications. When you call a pastor or when we call a youth minister on those things, because, you know, even though, even though Matt may not be ordained, Matt needs to rightly discern the word of God. And that needs to involve me as the spiritual leader in helping in that. And he needs to have those qualities. And these are the qualifications that we look at as a church. Now, what churches have done before, they haven't looked at the Bible. And they've been like, oh, well, they give money to the church. Oh, well, well, they're popular or their family will get mad, so we better make them a deacon. That's why churches are in the problems they're in. It's because they're not going to these qualifications. I'm going to tell you where we're at and what I believe about our church. We hold to these qualifications. We're not perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You just go to the Bible and say we're going to hold the qualifications of my qualifications and yours, and it's all there in 1 Timothy. So your next fill-in, uh, being the church means having structure. And the structure we recognize is the office of pastor and the office of, of deacon. Um, how did I, I missed a... I must have missed that. So, Oh, I know. Here's your C. You ready for your C? Couldn't think of another point, and Julie caught it. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering where to – that's not that funny, okay? Julie does our slides. She's like, uh, I'm missing the C. And I'm like, I am not making up a point just to have a C. So I couldn't think of another point. So let's look at this for a minute. The church is the – Christ is the foundation. It's a holy body of believers. It's unique in character. We're autonomous. And you're ready to minister. Everybody has a gift. Couldn't think of another point. We have structure, pastors, and deacons. And you may say this, and this is, again, for Wednesday nights. God made man and woman, and he made us different. And no one is less than, but we have different things. But he did make man to be the spiritual leader of the home. Didn't mean that he was supposed to rule over and I know we have ministers in churches that are women. We have women in churches that teach. I don't have an issue with that. But let's go to the line of this. When it comes to elder, pastor, and leader of the church, he is clear that it's a man. It doesn't mean that they're any better. It's his structure, and it follows the pattern of Christ. We can get into that deeper. But let's stand on our feet because you're about ready to, you're already, 